I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, what have you been up to this week? I have to confess, aside from the two films we were down to review, I haven't managed to take any other films in a view. I did watch Pieces of a Woman uh, oh, this week because yes. it's a fairly new film as well. And we were debating last week whether to review Pieces of a Woman or One Night in Miami. And we chose the One Night in Miami because Pieces of a Woman is quite a heavy going film. And it is. It's got Vanessa Kirby, Shia LaBeouf, Ellen Burstein and uh, Molly Park. And really it's about Shia LaBeouf and Vanessa mm-hmm. Kirby's characters are pregnant and they lose the baby. And it's really what happens about the aftermath of that basically and also taking the midwife to court as well so quite a heavy going one but really excellent acting great cinematography great writing as well so it is one to watch but be in mind that it's going to be a really sad to watch film as well at the same time yeah i'm gonna watch it i heard it's Mm. super harrowing but still good performances but just super tough to watch yeah I think it's going to be potentially uh, Oscar nominations for some of the actors in this film as well. Definitely one to watch. Okay, so before we get into the reviews, it is quiz time. Pop quiz or movie quiz. This is just a random three questions. It's multiple choice, okay? All right, go on then. It's going to be hard, isn't it? I'm not good at multiple choice. I never <laughs> was an exam, so I used to just... press A, 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 A. <laughs> Multiple choice. <laughs> this is what we're both going to say for every time there's a quiz question. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm going to be terrible at this. Okay. Okay. So in Back to the Future. Yeah. What year does Marty McFly travel back in time to? Is it 1945, 1950, 1955 or 1955. 55. C, is it? Let's have a look. 19. Sarah says 1955. The answer is 1955. Yes. There you go. Right. Okay. That's that's impressive. I have to say, I wouldn't have known that one. I think uh, it's because it was 30 years, wasn't it? I think they had 30 years. We're going back 30 years. And I think it was set in 85, wasn't it? I don't know. Or I'm we, we, we completely on. wrong. I've moved on. We're on to the next question. Right. <laughs> Where did Kevin's family travel to in Home Alone? Was it Paris, New York, London, or Los Angeles? The first one they went to... Ooh, it's either Paris or Los Angeles. Uh, uh, Paris. Paris. The answer is Paris. Yay! Could this be? Through? Could this be? Three out of three. Okay, here we go. What is the name of the villainous teddy bear in Toy Story 3? Is oh, it, gosh. Is it Hugsalot, Paddy, Lotso, or Fitzo? Oh, it's a tricky one. What's the Hugs? I'll go for Hugsalot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a lot. So two out of three, pretty yeah, good. Yeah. I have I would, no idea. I don't think I would have got any of those. To be honest, <laughs> I might have got home and I maybe, maybe. That was a good. That was good. That just exercised the brain cells. <laughs> I know. So. I could see them. I could see the. I could see the brain cells <laughs> dimming out. Little vein in my, my forehead, sort of pulsing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
There you it's go. A, that's right. good stuff. So what we're going to go for this week. So we've got One Night in Miami and The Beach. Shall we start with The Old again? With The Beach? Yeah, why not? Okay. And it's your film. It is my film. So The Beach, directed by Danny Boyle. This was two years after he did Train Spotting. And the screenplay was by John Hodge, and it's based on the book The Beach by Alex Garland. I didn't know anything about Alex Garland, but he collaborated with Boyle on a few films after this, and he went on to write and direct Ex Machina. There you go. Okay. This is starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Tilda Swinton, and Robert Carlyle, although Robert Carlyle plays quite a minor character. I'd say those are the three biggest stars. Leo was just... I say Liam, I make Leo. DiCaprio... Uh, had just done Titanic. And so it's interesting that this was seen as a bit of a risk for him. And I think, I suppose I could, I don't know, maybe I can understand why. So anyway, we have Richard played by DiCaprio, who's this American backpacker, lands in Bangkok, and we have this voiceover of his own words teeing up this whole lust for adventure pose that he's yearning for that comes with travelling at that age. So he checks into a hostel where he meets French couple, boyfriend and girlfriend, Etienne and Francoise. There's this immediate chemistry between Francoise and Richard. Richard then meets this drug addict who's this hermit-like madman called Daffy, played by Robert Carlyle. Awesome character, even though he was an absolute nutter. And he's kind of holed up in the adjacent room to to Richard. So they strike up conversation. And one thing leads to another. And basically, Daffy starts to talk about this mythical, utopian, tropical paradise island. But he's so high that Richard's not really quite sure kind of what to make of it. And then the next morning, Richard wakes up, finds a map attached to Daffy's door, which shows very roughly where this island is. He opens the door to his room and finds that he's committed suicide. Richard shows the map to Etienne and Francoise and kind of explains what he'd been told and persuades them to join up. And as a trio, off they go to see if they can find this island. And they work out that if they get a boat to this very, very remote outcrop island where they're permitted to stay one night, camping one night, from there, they can swim over to what they think is this island. The way it's been described to them is this lagoon, incredible beach, completely enclosed within these huge rock formations. So they spend that one night on the beach. During that night, Richard and Francoise are the only one awake and they have this little chat and you can tell, you know, sparks to start to fly and you can start to see what's going to happen on that particular front. Next morning, wake up. They manage to swim over to the island and on arrival, they find themselves in this huge plantation of marijuana guarded by farmers with guns. They manage to escape them. And after kind of trekking through forests and jumping off waterfalls, they reach this incredible island paradise this incredible beach lagoon just as you know had been described to them absolutely stunning and here they meet this backpacker like tribe who have been living here for ages and when they meet them initially obviously they're very suspicious because there's this whole code of secrecy behind where they are but when the leader of the group, Sal, played by Tilda Swinton, quizzes Richard, he says that he hasn't told anyone about the map. He hasn't shared the map or any information with anyone else. So, you know, they're kind of welcomed into the group. And before long, you know, they become part of this clan. And part of the deal they have 
is that the farmers have their one side of the island and then they have theirs and they're not really allowed to cross. Occasionally, the group will have these trips back to the mainland, but they're kind of few and far between. So they're completely isolated. And slowly over time, Richard, who's this very kind of gung-ho, go-getting, confident young guy who's just up for anything, he starts to really become, you know, the number one guy in the in the tribe. And these people here aren't allowed to leave the island for anything, not, not even like a kind of a health emergency. And so whilst this causes some fractions within the group, uh, Richard totally buys into this. And so with that, Sal, the leader, starts to form this bond, if you like, with Richard. And then Richard becomes more and more popular. And eventually he wins over Francoise and they become the couple. And then Richard takes it one step further when he ends up surviving this shark attack. And he's there telling this story. And he just becomes almost like the leader or the number two of the group. And you have Sal, who's always been the leader, and her boyfriend, who's called Bugs, and Bugs doesn't get on with Richard, sees him as a complete threat. And then Sal slowly almost becomes completely smitten by Richard and decides to pick him as her companion on a trip to the mainland. Here, Sal learns that Richard did make a copy of the map which fell into the hands of these American jock backpackers who Richard bumps into whilst he's there with Sal. And basically that kickstarts a whole chain of events that threatens the whole secrecy and the whole existence of this little group, this whole Lord of the Flies type uh, scenario. Yeah. So I'm not going to say anything. I'll just pass straight over to you. So what's... <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like Lord of the Flies cross between Blue Lagoon or something like that, really, isn't it? In the 80s film. I watched this on DVD just shortly after it came out. And more recently on Channel 4, it was on as well. And it tells really, you know, I think most backpackers, if they were adventurous like Richard was, they would probably do exactly the same. Kind of have a kind of an adventure to this island if they've got no other work or no other connections they need to make if they're traveling around the world for example so I, I could see how this could be quite real in some respects i love the music it's got you got snake blood left field you got all saints with pure shores you got porcelain moby underworld blur faithless orbital you mentioned another one earlier what was the other one you mentioned the verve well, yeah the but verve I mean, as yeah, well yeah everybody i mean it's, the, it's an it is the music, incredible it's, soundtrack. yeah the, the, the music is great and actually inspired me to after watching the film i've been i've been listening to a bit of left field and, and underworld after as well having a little little bit of a bop as i was writing my notes for the podcast it's a lot of drug influence in this film obviously we see what happens to daffy uh, robert carlisle completely off his face and richard is kind of a bit gullible in, in some respects and a bit trusting of people as well he'll he'll do kind of he'll just smoke whatever they smoke and and i just found that a bit like well that could be anything that he's smoking really and you don't know what effect it's going to have on him but he's a young man and he's adventurous basically beautiful shots of thailand and of the the fifi Lair island i think it was called and there was phuket yeah phuket that's how you pronounce it it's code pp and Phuket and I've been to the beach I've been to that very Have beach you? yeah so I oh. during my backpacking days I actually went to Kopipi so it was right okay uh, it was so you'd be a backpacker like Richard <laughs> no, I, I wish I wish I had 
I wish I had slightly more. <laughs> not quite yeah. as interesting stories to tell as, as Richard, I don't think. But anyway. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, the island was is beautiful. But I hear when I was reading IMDb that they actually re-landscaped the island that they took the shots of. And they left it in quite a mess. After they left, there was a big storm. And because they ruined the sand dunes, which were protecting the island, the, the trees and other vegetation that they put in or other materials they put in were washed out to sea and destroyed the coral reef. And they were actually, Fox Studios were actually forced to pay $100,000 to the Royal Forestry Development in Thailand because of the damages that they caused. So it's a real shame, actually, to think that that, that actually happened. You think it's actually natural beauty. Was it very similar to how you saw it when you visited the island? I mean, in short, it is as stunning as it's depicted. And when I went, I mean, this would have been back in 94. There were no hotels. So, so when you saw those shots of them arriving in, you know, where everyone lived for the yeah. first time, and it was just dirt tracks and all these lovely little wooden bungalow style, it was literally like that. All the roads were like those tracks. So that, wow. that I totally recognised that whole setup. Mm. Um, yeah. They had just started building the first hotel, and now, apparently, now it's more of a concrete jungle. Oh, no, um, such a shame. It, such it a is shame. a shame. It is a shame. And I read the same thing, and it, yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. It is sad because especially when the whole point of that film is its setting, is the fact that it's just such a beautiful place. That's the whole part of what makes it special and behind the story itself. So it just seems such a shame that they just sounds like the Thai authorities thought, brilliant, we're going to make a packet here and then just kind of just let them do what they want. And yeah, it, it did, certainly how I read it, just like you, it, it seemed a real shame. Yeah. I mean, they had $50 million budget to make this film and, and Leo... Nardo DiCaprio was paid twenty million because he was hot property after Titanic, and I don't know what he earns these days, but you know, twenty million for this film is and living a glorious lifestyle whilst he was out there, no doubt as well, must have been very attractive. And apparently, Ewan McGregor was tipped to play this. Danny Boyle actually wanted him to take the part, but uh, the studio, Fox Studio, preferred Leonardo DiCaprio because of his recent fame from previous films that he'd done. And apparently, it caused rifts between Ewan McGregor and Danny Boyle. But however, they have, um, I think, the Train Spotting too. I think they friends again so uh, but Leonardo did have to share 20 pounds before he played the part he was quite a slim man in those days anyway so I was you know they're obviously looking for ultra skinny for this playing this part but Leo I'm going to call him Leo because he's my friend too I think he's played better roles than this one I mean Wolf of Wall Street uh, Inception Departed Catch Me If You Can Shutter Island The Revenant the list goes on he seems to be land himself in very good roles and the, the first time I saw him actually Actually, was in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. It must have been about early 20s. I knew he was going to be an outstanding actor going forward. He was, you know, the start of his career and he was he was just amazing in that. And he's just, you know, recently been in Once Upon a Time in America as well. So he still continues to have a great career and he was hot property in those days. And as I said, Lord knows how much he earns these days. It must be more millions than, than what he earned in, in this film. I didn't really connect with any of the characters. I don't think any of them I would have trusted. Uh, they're quite selfish and all fickle. Uh, Sal 
who was played by Tilda Swinton, was probably the worst. I, I really didn't like her character at all. And we're probably supposed to not like her, really. I mean, she's top dog and, and she, she doesn't like the fact that, that Richards and these two others have just joined the group and not really trusting of them. My favourite part was actually the start of the film when they were finding their way to the island. And you could see there was some sort of interest between Richard and, and Francoise. And poor Etienne was kind of being pushed out of the picture, really. But once Sal found out the map had been shared, it just went very, very sour. I just didn't really connect with any of the characters, really, in this. I love this quote. Never refuse an invitation. Never resist the unfamiliar. Never cease to be polite. And never outstay your welcome. And it kind of sums up this film completely. As I said, I like the start. Not sure about the end, really. Beautiful island. Great music. And that's all I can say, really. I, I don't know what your thoughts are, Rob. Probably much the same. I mean, I think I've got a soft spot for it because... Mm. You've been there, so, yeah. Yes, I suppose, yes, I've been there. But also the fact that I did a bit of backpacking in that part of the world, it seems to be very, very one of its time in so much as, obviously, the soundtrack. Just coming on two years from train spotting, it was a very of its time. And all of the characters were, like you say, that they were really self-centred. They they were all quite shallow. But, But I think that's what happens to people... When they go mm. backpacking and they're just going from place to place, they've got no care in the world. All they care about is is trying to be a version of themselves that they think they want to be and they're not. Um, yeah. And then they come back home and before you know it, that they're just like everybody else. And I think it's kind of capturing that bubble that it does do a good job of, but that doesn't make the characters likable. Mm. It's almost like they should have an, another The Beach but not the beach, but back to when they're in normality. Where, where are they yeah, now? Yeah, that would be, yeah, where are they now? That would be really interesting. <laughs> they'll the all be like, they'll always different. be in like normal IT jobs and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't think they probably, that's the whole thing, you see. It's like, you look at photos of when you were backpacking, often you look at them now and it's just another world, but you just get, you just get caught up in it. And that's yeah. why I think this actually captured really well. I do like Danny Boyle. I love Shallow Grave, I love train spotting. There's something about this film that kind of feels quite flimsy and disposable. And yes, there's a lot about it that doesn't grab you. Characters, like you say, aren't particularly engaging. But as you say, it's a beautiful location. Mm. It's cool music. It's still Leonardo DiCaprio about to become the massive star he is so yes from a role point of view it's not particularly challenging it's like he's just being him there's a bit of the whole lord of flies and for me the interesting part apart from that whole like wouldn't you want to be there i found the second part of the story far more interesting when they come back from the trip to the mainland where richard is he's like discarded almost by the main group sal for the fact that he's given away the location and he ends up being left on this kind of outpost on the top of this cliff and he's left on his own almost as a punishment to make sure that he is there on guard should these jocks arrive and as he does that obviously his mind he just starts to go slowly mad because he's just there on his own in his own company Mm. he's living his own kind of hermit-like life occasionally he'll be stalking and seeing what's going on you know from the bushes with the farmers with the guns or he might be going back to the main group and seeing what's going on but basically he's completely on his own that's that moment during that part of the film is when they bring in that he sees himself in 
a computer game. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was quite fun. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the bit I thought was. I don't know. I mean, I say that I'm not going. I'm not going overboard. I'm not saying I thought it was brilliant. I just think it was more interesting than seeing the predictable rise of Richard as you know arriving on the beach and winning everyone mm. over. You could kind of see mm. where everything was going. Yeah, and I was actually just thinking, and um, probably fine. Actually, most travelers wouldn't do the swim from that at the start from that oh, first no, time into so. the, no way there they wouldn't bother would they so <laughs> way too much yeah, effort yeah. for a trip for a backpack well if you don't know what's going to be there he's like thinking well how am i going to get home after, after no, get right. there? exactly there. and there's a lot of like <laughs> suspending your disbelief i mean that the, the, they don't really dwell much on what really would have been a very dangerous and epic swim that could have proved fatal over to this island they don't spend much time looking at that yeah. particular part but yeah i mean let's just say good soundtrack lovely setting Danny Ball he, he does kind of often make films that are really pacing and dynamic like that but yeah the characters you don't particularly engage with but I think that's purely because it's about backpackers who are kind of stuck up their ass in this bubble where they think they're completely you know this very self-indulgent self-righteous little group who think yeah. they are doing the they're doing the yeah. planet a huge service by living like hermits when actual fact mm-hmm. they're going back to the mainland they're all on drugs they're getting their little rations of all those things that they miss from home and they are just a bunch of tourists on a beach at the end of the day and yeah. When it comes to the crunch, it doesn't take much for them all to fall apart. So whilst the message is is the right message, it doesn't make for enjoyable, likeable characters. No, but it's sort of selfish, really, characters, yeah. So did you go before the film was made or after? Before, because this was 2000 and I yeah. went in 93, 4, I think. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was just intrigued to see whether you, it was the influence of the film that made you go there or whether you no, just wanted it, to go the there thing anyway. It, and you're absolutely right. You did say that maybe I like this as well because I've been there. I think that's absolutely right. I'm, I'm sure that's a big part of it. Because well, also, even, I've not been a backpacker, so I, I, I don't resonate with it as either. So, but that makes sense. It is, a, it is a pretty cool film, I have to say. Yeah, you're right. It's but, kind of, yeah. it, it's cool, but it's, like I say, it's a bit disposable. It's not, you know, it, it kind of comes and goes. It's of its time. And I think, like you say, if you happen to have done a bit of backpacking in Thailand and you love the music, you can kind of, like you say, resonate a little bit with mm-hmm. some of some of the whole themes and setting. Yes, you're inevitably going to probably like it more and forgive it for some of the, I could say, shallow characterization. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised it didn't make more money than it actually did. It made um, $144 million worldwide gross. And as I said earlier, $50 million budget. So I was expecting more in the 300s for some reason because it was very popular, but maybe it's more our age group my, our generation that liked it less of the other generations because in my mind i thought this was like a really huge success i don't mm. know why and in actual mm. fact dicaprio got a razzie for his performance in this right. so yeah like you say maybe it just really divided people in terms yeah. of like maybe the the audience for this was relatively narrow and some people loved it for what like for the mm. reasons we've been talking about but it didn't create yeah. any big worldwide success i'm sure leo had quite a good time uh, making yeah. this yeah you didn't meet leo <laughs> while you were out there then <laughs> <laughs> no, I did have been Leo whilst I was out there, though. He was busy getting ready for Titanic, I would have thought. 
Oh no, he's probably doing what's eating Gilbert Grape. He's probably would, he probably would have been doing what's eating. <laughs> you know, I haven't, I haven't seen what's eating Gilbert Grape, and I feel I've definitely got to watch it because I know mm. that's like the performance that it's got Johnny Depp as well. Yeah, yeah. gonna have to watch it. Gonna mm. have to watch that one. Mm. Anyway, my rating, I am gonna give it a f- seven and a half out of ten. I just didn't connect with it, but I can see why it's an attractive film to watch, and it is cool, and I love the music. Yeah, same with me. Seven and a half. It's not an eight. It's not a seven. Mm. So I'm the same. It's kind of in the middle. It's a nice bit of eye candy, great music, like just as mm. you say. And, you know, DiCaprio is a huge star. So it's always interesting to go mm-hmm. back and watch some of his earlier stuff. Yep. Yep, definitely. So the next film is One Night in Miami, which we chose as our new film to review this week and you can find it on amazon prime right now uh, it's directed by regina king who for me i was, try- I was tracking my brain how do i know regina king she's she is an actress as well uh, she's directed a couple of films but the, the one film that i remember her as is marcy and jerry Maguire. but she's been in miss congeniality and etc with sandra bullock as well and i think this is probably her first big feature so um a really good start and it's written by kemp powers and based on the stage play and Kent Powers we've mentioned before because he was the writer for Soul as well so um, he's going places because he's only done a couple of films that he's written for but they've both featured this year or in last year and doing very well. The film takes place in February in 1964 it brings together four of the greatest icons, it's, you've got Cassius Clay or Muhammad Ali Malcolm X, Sam Cooke and NFL uh, Jim Brown as uh, so they celebrate uh, Cassius Clay plays world heavyweight boxing title after beating Sonny Liston in the Miami beach. However, you would expect them to have a kind of like a huge party to celebrate, but actually it ends up being just the four of them in a motel room and Malcolm X being a little bit twitchy because he's constantly looking at the window worried that he may be assassinated because the things he's been saying out in public, uh, he's very anti-white as well. He has bodyguards with him at all times. And really the evening sort of takes a turn and it really ends up being a night of discussing their roles in civil rights movements and how blacks are treated unequally to compared to the whites in society. This meet did actually happen. They were friends, but nobody really knows what they spoke about. But it was quite interesting what came out from the next day with Cassius Clay claiming that he was going to Islam and he was going to be called Muhammad Ali, etc. And also Sam Cooke standing up for his rights when he sang so Sam Cooke goes on the Johnny Carson show, uh, live TV show, and he sings uh, A Change Is Gonna Come as an example. So Malcolm X, he was really sort of prodding these guys to make them change their views on, on how they should be represented in the public eye. And yeah, I mean, it's beautifully played by Kingsley Benadir. He's London born and been in Pleaky Blinders. He played a Malcolm X. We've got Eli Gorey, who's from Ballers, the 100 and Godzilla. He played Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay. Then we've got Aldersage, who plays Jim Brown, and he's been in Hidden Figures, Die Hard Vengeance. And then we've got Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Sam Cooke, and with his beautiful voice as well, very soulful. And he's been in Hamilton, you know, makes sense if he's he's singing in Hamilton and Harriet as well. I think this is going to be up for Oscars nominations. And actually I was looking through the Oscars when they were going to be as well for this year. And they've moved it back to 25th of April. But we should see the nominations come through on the 15th of March. 
and Regina King is tipped for being the first black woman nominated for Best Director. And I, I don't know about the other actors, but they all played really well. But I love Muhammad Ali or Eli Gorey's, um how he portrayed him. And he's just like a Winnie the Pooh Tiggy, so bouncy. And I love the line when he was talking about, come over here, come over here. Look, look in the mirror. Look how pretty I am. <laughs> and it's just like some of the lines and some of the poses you see in posters of Muhammad Ali and it's been shot beautifully as well I mean he brings the light Muhammad Ali but whereas Malcolm X brings a bit more of the darkness I would say to this film and it's very passionate thought-provoking and sometimes in places it is funny as well but I'd love to get your thoughts Rob yeah, I really liked it. Um, you don't often get films like this. I, ha- I deliberately didn't watch the trailer for it, but I got the sense that it was pretty much going to be four guys mm. chatting, and pretty much that's what it was. It takes a short while, probably half an hour before, or maybe slightly longer before, we get to them all in the motel room as they introduce each character. And as they do that, I think it's a really nice way of placing the heart of all the issues that these individuals face yeah. in society. And towards the beginning of this, whilst we see Cassius Clay, or as he becomes Muhammad Ali, as we see Cassius Clay fighting Henry Cooper, and we kind of see his story that probably people are you know more familiar with, I thought what was really impactful is when you see Jim Brown, who's returning home from Georgia, this NFL, this NFL player, and he's, he's kind of really warmly received by this family friend, Mr. Carlton, who lives on this massive plantation estate. They, they sit down and they talk and you can clearly they go back and he's really lauding him and heaping praise on him as the great Jim Brown. But when Brown offers to help Carlton move some furniture in the house and he goes to kind of follow him inside, Carlton kind of casually kind of stops him and says, no, they don't allow niggers in the house. I mean, that's the exact words. And it is so shocking. It's so shocking because up Mm. to that, it's like it lures you into this false sense of friendship uh, between this white guy and a, and a black guy and and obviously you get that real punch of like wow okay this is where we are this is the sign of what society was like and obviously whenever you see these themes of racism in films it's absolutely crazy yes obviously this is still hugely rife today but the degree to which some of these you know it's played out in some of these scenes it's not that long ago is it in history and it's absolutely shocking it really does that comment really like hit me it's like whoa so it takes a while to set up each character um sam cook as this soul singer who is accused of selling out by Malcolm X making white music for white people and of course uh, Muhammad Ali it looks like you say it looks beautiful doesn't it I mean the the, the way they depict the scene like you say there was a shot I remembered of Cassius's team all around the pool where he was staying and that shot underwater of him posing Mm, fantastic scene it just looked amazing it just looked beautiful And I just found the whole thing just really fascinating. And it's almost one of those films, I think because it's a movie and it's what, it's it's an hour and 54 minutes, I think. It's almost like it's a great education. If if there's a child kind of at secondary school who, you know, just dipping your toe in the kind of the social history of this time, it's a fantastic film to watch because it is really just four people talking and chatting and discussing, like you say, their place in the world and what they think they are individually bringing to the civil rights movement and what they're bringing to help the black community because they are 
are all in their own way think that they are doing something to better the black community and they all think that they you know are leaders in that way to a degree and then you have Malcolm X of course who's much more militant and is really there like you say to probe them all well primarily it becomes about Sam Cooke but it really makes you question just whether these individuals are actually doing the right thing I mean, because you have this NFL player, Jim Brown, off that success. He's talking about how he's about to take a role in Hollywood as he's making his first foray as an actor. And he's Mm -hmm. talking to his friend Cassius Clay about this. And Cassius kind of asks him, also, what's your role? Uh, You know, and and he says that he dies halfway through the film. And so, like, Cassius Clay's immediately, you know, can't, (laughs) so right, can't you see that you're just playing the stereotypical black guy who gets shot halfway? How is that forwarding the black movement? And so, you know, but the very fact that he's even got to the point in life where he's being offered that role and his success that's led him to that through the NFL, well, surely that's a positive thing and Mm. so you get this all these little scenarios where you can see the plus and the minus for each individual story as to whether what they're doing is furthering the movement or actual fact is hindering it and you've got sam cook like i say who thinks he's playing his part because yes okay he's a singer and he's a producer but he's understood that the way he is to gain success is to create records which are primarily quite you know that they're not they're not of his roots they're not soulful you know it's white music it's pop music but he's doing that to allow him to be able to Mm. make his own decisions and he's doing that to become a bastion if you like in the music industry therefore shouldn't that be something that should be celebrated and again Malcolm X really a lot of the film is centered upon almost him picking a fight with Sam Cooke saying well no you're not You, you know you're not if you really want you should be making music about black people in their lives that's your way of contributing what you're doing is just uh, you're playing into their hands you're 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 just playing by their rules in order for you to gain success and then when he when Malcolm X then pronounces that he wants to leave the nation of Islam when he's basically lured Cassius Clay into that and Cassius Clay is about to announce the next day that he's going to turn to uh, Islam then Cassius Clay then thinks well, why are you doing that? You've spent all this time telling me I should turn to Islam and now you're saying you're going to set up another group. You're using me. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's so, well, yeah, I mean, like all, and Muhammad Ali was huge. Maybe he was using him. And then, like you say, all this time, the way in which the film's depicted is that these are all four friends. And so you get these fractions. And ultimately what this all does is it makes everything very tense and awkward between them all because it makes you realise just how difficult it is to be a success as a black person in this particular period. You know, and I'm sure it's still going to be the case today. It's like they all have to make sacrifices. In other words, they all have to give a bit of themselves away to white society in order for them to try and make a success of themselves. And so they're all Mm. doing it in their own way. They're all sacrificed. It's almost like there's no other way of doing it. You know, Malcolm X is there as this political activist, but someone said he doesn't have a job. He's made the decision that he's not going to cave into any of this. 
and he's trying to tell them that he believes that's the only way. But when it puts their entire friendship at stake, it just raises a lot, a lot of questions. And I think it does it in a, a very compelling way that just makes you really think about it. And obviously, of course, it's, it's timely. It's always going to be timely. There's still so many problems with this. And it does really make you think. And I think that's what I like most about it. I thought as a piece of social commentary, like you say, just really, really thought provoking. And I haven't watched it again. I'd like to watch it again. And it, mm-hmm. makes, it certainly mm-hmm. makes you want to find out more about all of the individual characters. Yeah, definitely. I haven't watched Ali. I'd like to watch Ali with Will Smith in it. And there's also Malcolm X film as well. So they're ones to watch. I mean, it's very creatively written because, you know, as I said, nobody really knows what happened in that motel room. But what is sad is that three out of the four are now passed away. Malcolm X, pretty much a year later, was killed by that first Islamic group that he he formed uh, or was he was part of, which, you know, you would, you would ex- kind of think he, he was killed by a white person, really, because he was so anti-white. I was felt a bit uncomfortable on occasions because he was just so far the other way, being anti-white. And then you've got Sam Cook. I don't know what went down in this motel, but uh, about 10 months after this meetup, he was shot dead by another motel owner because he was looking like he was uh, abusing some lady and then the motel owner just shot him. And then you've got Ali, who died of boxing causes, I would say. And then you've got Jim Brown, who's the only one that's still alive. And interestingly, I read this, he supports Donald Trump. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, hang on a minute, Donald Trump's quite racist and all that kind of stuff, but he supports Donald Trump and supported him with his election. But he did start his acting career in 1964 and he went into, I think, one of his biggest films at the start was The Dirty Dozen. He's also done Running Man. He's done Mars Attacks and Any Given Sunday he's even done as well. So some interesting roles that he's done there. Yeah, he's the only one that's around today and it's just sad to think that these characters they're so passionate about what they were doing unfortunately with Malcolm X it, it kind of hasn't even progressed really since then in some ways and that you know this is talking in the 60s now so what are you going to give this Rob? Given that although it, that they have this period of interest in the characters it is just kind of four people in a motel room occasionally they go out if you told someone that's primarily what the setting of the film and what it's about people might think oh that's that sounds quite boring <laughs> actual fact when the three guys realize that the party isn't a party it's just going to be them mm. and malcolm x you know they said crikey really is i thought it was going to be a party they probably thought mm. the same but mm. I, I would urge people to watch it because i personally just thought all of the performances were great i completely agree Amazing. with you that um Kingsley Benadir that he plays uh, Malcolm X I thought was standout he's amazing. And he looks a spitting image of him as well yes, you I know. can see a photo we looked at pictures and yeah, yeah spitting image and also we haven't talked to, well you may have mentioned that I thought the soundtrack was great occasionally we obviously had Sam Cooke who was performing songs as well this whole kind of soulful music I thought was beautiful but yeah I, I'm, I'm going to give it nine out of ten Everything that was so good about it almost comes from the way in which it makes you think as they're talking through all these various issues. And that's why I want to watch it again. I really liked it. It's different, isn't it? And it's different. You don't get mm. films like this. Mm. And and, it, and for that, I, th- I think it should get more, you know, that, that little bit maybe more credit um, in the way in yeah. which it does engage you. Yeah, no, and, and actually I, I've I've given it the same score, nine out of 10. I, I just thought, at first one I thought kind of plods along a little bit, but... And also that there is a lot of 
uncomfortableness with Malcolm X, keep prodding, you know, keep going on at Sam Cooke. And um, and actually, that may not have actually happened in real life as well. But it really was superb acting, um, creative writing and directing. So, yeah, a nine out of ten for me. So well worth a watch. Cool. Right. OK, so moving on, shall we pick our film, our oldie? Yeah. The category is Guilty Pleasure. <laughs> oh, we have not had one of my Guilty Pleasures yet. And is that good news or bad news? You're probably <laughs> wondering. Mind you, some of the films that we have reviewed are on my guilty pleasures list. Okay. And I have a heap of them. I have 44 guilty oh pleasures. Oh, my God. 44. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. Okay. I'm going to go for 40. 40 is Beetlejuice. Uh, comedy and yeah, Ooh. comedy and fantasy. Uh, Nineteen eighty-eight with Alec Baldwin, Jim Davis, Michael Keaton, and Winona Ryder. I have a confession to make. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. <gasps> Just don't say it three times. <laughs> okay. Don't know what you, that means. You, well, you will know when you watch the film. Uh, so, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. So. The spirits of a deceased couple are harassed by an unbearable family that's moved into their home and hire a malicious spirit to drive them out. I'm glad, though, because there's so many of these little films that I know I need to watch, and this is one of them. And also, um, they're making a new Beetlejuice film, which Michael Keaton's going to be in. So, uh, Yes, I, I thought I, I think I read that, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think it's Tim Burton film it as is, well, isn't it? Exactly, and I liked yeah. it. I love Tim Burton. I got into Tim Burton after this film, really. So mm. yeah, no, I'm look, I'm looking forward to watching this one. What is a good listen actually connected to Tim Burton is I listened to Louis Theroux podcast with Helena Bonham Carter, and it was yeah really interesting because they went to school together as well. Yeah, and she doesn't remember him at all. He's just like, oh, you don't remember me, kind of, but she remembers his brother. Not <laughs> really funny. But yeah, that's a good listen as well, Louis Theroux series. So this film, uh, Beetlejuice, is streaming currently on Sky Go and Now TV. Do check other platforms as well, but you can rent and buy from most other online channels. And you know what's amazing about this film, even though I haven't seen it? It's an hour and 32 minutes, everyone. Yes. That's a movie. Yes. That's a movie running time right there. Yeah, yeah they're going to look so young as well. Winona Ryder and Gina Davis in her, I guess them in their purple patches. Yeah, absolutely. Might be the first film actually for Winona Ryder. We'll have to check that out. Okay, so that's our oldie. And mm-hmm. Sarah, are you going to tell us what the newbie is going to be? Yeah, so we've, we've been looking looking around on Empire Magazine. It's quite a good guide for us and, and what's coming up in particular and also for TV. And the choices were, was The Dig or Synchronic. And we decided that Synchronic might be a good watch. Sci-fi, thriller... And it's on Amazon Prime, Sky Store and Apple TV as of the 29th of January. And this is in the drama horror sci-fi category. Two New Orleans paramedics' lives are ripped apart after they encounter a series of horrific deaths linked to a designer drug with bizarre otherworldly effects. So this is directed by Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead, Written by Justin Benson, starring Anthony Mackie, Jamie Dornan. 
And I certainly haven't read anything about this, only have just seen the trailer, literally. Mm. Sarah and I watched the trailer before this podcast record, and it certainly looks very, very intriguing. Yeah, so it was due to be released in 2019, actually, but uh, they must have held it back because of the, the first lockdown, and I guess they kind of just give it up now and just put it out there and on these channels that I've mentioned. But um, Anthony Mackie is also in Outside the Wire as well. I've watched that, and which is quite a good, nice sci-fi movie as well. So he's he was in the Avengers, wasn't he? He was uh, Sam Wilson in, but what is his character? Falcon. Falcon, that's right. But yeah, it looks like he's, he's doing quite a lot at the moment, which is good. Look forward to it. Mm. So yeah, a bit of fun and um, a bit of sci-fi. That's what I like to hear for, for reviewing for next week. Good stuff. So have you got anything else you think you might be watching this week? I have to have a browse, I think. I'm sure that I will slip another film in at some point. I might give Pieces of a Woman a go, but I think obviously yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to have to be pick. prepared. Yes, Be prepared, I, but it I, is I'm, very good acting. I am prepared for it. I'm going to have to make sure I'm in the right mood for it, I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, I hope you have a good week. And so also for our listeners as well. And uh, if you disagree or agree with what we're saying, please, you know, pop onto our Facebook site. Just look for Two Small Cokes and you should find us. And actually, we should mention this. Where do we sit in the Apple podcast over Christmas, Rob? Apparently, we are 37th in terms of film review podcasts on Apple. Amazing. Yeah, since Christmas. Amazing. Which is pretty cool, you know. It is very cool considering we don't throw a load of money at it to advertise it and, and et cetera. It's just been really good fun. Absolutely. No, no, it's cool. It's really nice to see that people are listening. <laughs> people are listening. And what I do really like is when I do meet up with my friends to go for a run or a walk um, during these social distancing times, that uh, they start talking about what they've heard on, on the podcast and it's encouraging to listen. So uh, thank you for the Harlems and the Courtenages and uh, really appreciate the dr- and, and, and the Drummonds. And the Drummonds. Yeah, there's, there's many people that uh, do say, oh, I listened to your podcast this week and uh, it's really nice to hear that. So thank you very much, everyone. Good stuff. Cool. Well, yeah, and obviously everyone has the option now of watching an old film or just something hot off the press, which is nice little change to the format. So I think we're going to find we'll get more comments or we'll get certainly get more people talking, I think, if there are films that are quite new. Certainly found that's the case with Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, not, let's not talk about Wonder Woman. Cool. <laughs> All right, then. Have a good week, everyone. Take care. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. Bye.